When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, Prokoptan. Welcome back to Practical Stoicism. I'm your host, Tanner Campbell, and I'm glad you're back. Today, we're going to be covering meditation number 45 from book number four, and we're also going to answer a question from a listener. Here's the meditation. In the series of things, those which follow are always aptly fitted to those which have gone before. For this series is not like a mere enumeration of disjointed things, which is only a necessary sequence, but it is a rational connection. And as all existing things are arranged together harmoniously, so the things which come into existence exhibit no mere succession, but a certain wonderful relationship. The Stoic yin and yang, though that's not what any Stoic ever called it, is what this meditation is referring to the great cosmic relationship of all things. It's not that you came into being because your parents made you. It's that you came into being because, in a relational framing, certain parts of the universe fit together in something that could appear as a design, in such a way that outcomes happen. But they aren't outcomes. They're more like steps in a dance, cogs in a machine, threads in a rope. They are all correlative related not to a single sequence of events, but to the whole of how the universe works. We can see this in the development of the four virtues. Early on in this podcast, I described the virtue pavilion as a practical way of thinking about the development of virtue as a whole. I said that in order to have virtue, the roof of your virtue pavilion, you had to first construct the pillars. I put it this way because, first, I wasn't far enough along in my own Stoic education to put it more accurately, but also because, knowing I was limited in my education at that point, I had to put it in a practical way that allowed it to be more easily communicated and more easily grasped by the listener, by you. Virtue is a complicated concept in general, but I think especially in Stoicism. We don't necessarily create it in this directly relational way where pillar A— plus pillar B, plus pillar C, plus pillar D equals virtue. That's very sequential, right? Like there are concrete, ordered steps to building virtue. This isn't how it works, though. In the book Intelligent Virtue by Julia Annis, we're told, just as we are by Plato, that there's a unification of foundational virtues that manifest in virtue. And this is a little confusing because we're using the word virtue in the definition of virtue, so I want to make it a little easier by redefining the language a little bit. Instead of calling them cardinal virtues, bravery, temperance, wisdom, and justice, let's call them inherent reflexes. According to Annis, virtue is the result of inherent motivations, which are the result of educations, which are the results of habituated dispositions, such that when you work to habituate a disposition you naturally arrive at wanting to habituate, let's say being charitable, you must educate that disposition such that you learn how to be charitable well, because it's certainly possible to be charitable for the wrong reasons and to be charitable in an inappropriate way, such as being charitable for the sake of status or outward appearances. 
A person is not charitable just because they give. They are charitable because it is part of their character that they are simply motivated by that character to be charitable. As you educate this disposition, it becomes an inherent reflex such that you cannot help but be charitable when it is appropriate without even thinking about it. So a disposition is to be charitable. When educated with great care, let's say trained with great care and intention, that disposition is transformed into a reflex that is only ever expressed as an appropriate reflex so that it becomes impossible for you to be charitable in an inappropriate way. Now imagine you have to do this for every inherent reflex, and only after you have done that do you present in all your actions, thoughts, and attitudes as a virtuous person. That's the sage. And I can hear you saying, well, that seems pretty bottom-up, Tanner. Seems like I just need to focus on each pillar, and there we go, I'll be a sage. I suppose you could still think of it that way, but I think you'd be missing something that isn't immediately obvious, and that I didn't understand until I read Annas. Let's see if this blows your mind as much as it did mine. Imagine you need to cross the street. You think, that's easy, so you cross the street. But you don't look both ways before you start, so you get hit by a bus. You wake up the next day, Groundhog's Day style, and you get to try again. This time, you look both ways, and then cross the street. But someone is coming in the opposite direction and you don't know how to get out of their way. So you bump into them, stumble into the intersection, and then get hit by a bus. You wake up again and think, I've got it this time for sure. So you look both ways, start crossing the street, side shuffle to avoid other pedestrians in the walkway, but then when you get to the other side, you don't know how to stop. So you walk right into a hole in the ground where a construction crew is replacing part of a sidewalk. You land on a piece of rebar, impaling yourself. When you wake up this time, you think, Geez, there's a lot more to crossing the street than I thought there was. There are some things we learn as skills, like walking. But it's not like you learned how to walk forwards, sideways, and then how to stop in some order. And yet, you can cross the street almost like a dance. You know how to check for traffic. You know how to move out of the way of other pedestrians who are also crossing. You know when to stop, and you know how not to get hit by a bus while executing this simple task. Did someone teach you how to do all that? Did you teach yourself how to do all that? Could you even say you were taught to do it? Could you even say that when it comes to crossing the street, you had to learn all those pillars of crossing the street, those cardinal virtues of crossing the street? Could you even say you learned those things? Could you even say you practiced those things or focused on learning those things, and yet you know them? In the same way as that ridiculous example, you cannot be brave if you're not also just and wise, because you'd not be able to discern when bravery was the appropriate choice, and you wouldn't know what was just in any given situation. You have to execute all the dispositions perfectly at the same time and in equal parts, probably, to get it right. So developing virtue isn't a step one, step two, step three type thing. It's an all steps at once sort of thing, and every step requires and relates to all other steps. There's no sequence, there's only concert, a great, busy, beautiful concert, and you are the conductor, or you are trying to be. So when Marcus says, this series is not like a mere enumeration of disjointed things, which has only a necessary sequence, but it is a rational connection. And as all existing things are arranged together harmoniously, so the things which come into existence exhibit no mere succession, but a certain wonderful relationship. He is saying that there is nothing that happens in life 
that isn't harmoniously connected to all the other things that are happening in life, that all of it is part of a whole complex system of wonderful relationships, all of it connected, and you a sort of masterful dancer amidst it all, the central vector at which it all comes together and is expressed as a result of just how masterful you are in managing and moving within this web of relationships. Today's listener question comes from Clint. And by the way, if you'd like to submit a question, you can do so by going to stoicismpod.com forward slash ask and leaving your question. Clint's question is as follows. Hey, Tanner, Kai, Eric, Emma, and fellow Procoptons. This is Clint, but Kasasi on the Discord, calling in with a question from Maine, USA, as a way of claiming a chair in the Cosmopolis, so to speak. First, and perhaps to borrow from Marcus in doing so, I wanted to express my gratitude and appreciation for the readily apparent energy, effort, and love that I can hear in the creation of the podcast, the Discord community, and the expanding philosophy network. Thank you all for helping me keep my stoic practice close at hand. To set up my question, I want to say that about a week ago, my wife and I were having dinner with relatives that we don't see that often for a variety of reasons, and we're only dimly aware of my conversion to stoicism in the last year. At some point in the evening, the conversation turned to Stoicism, and I realized that I had a nice chance to talk a little bit more about the philosophy and how I found it beneficial. Unfortunately, long story short, about 10 minutes later, I found myself getting into the deep and weedy uh, ends of some of the teachings with a clearly and understandably disinterested audience with no clear understanding of the teachings or Stoicism. So my question is this, what's your best sales pitch for Stoicism, perhaps conveniently packaged in about a five to 10 minute monologue? This many episodes into the podcast, how would you present the philosophy to others? An episode zero, if you will. I'd love to hear Kai or others tackle this question as well, perhaps in their respective philosophical categories. And I think it'd be interesting to return to this question again in a year or as years go by to see how it may change or evolve. Thanks for taking the time. Take care. Bye. It's actually the case that Clint isn't the first to ask this question. In fact, Sophia from Portugal, who has a Stoicism podcast I've talked about on this podcast before, asked this question a couple of weeks ago, but I didn't answer that question then because I didn't have an elevator pitch prepared. I hadn't ever thought of it in those terms. It just so happens. However, this time around, I think I might. You definitely do not want to wade into half-understood concepts of Stoicism, especially in mixed company. That's actually why I started with the meditations, because I knew myself that I was educated enough to present and discuss those, but not to start in the deep end, as you put it, Clint. Because what I knew a year ago and what I know now are worlds of experience and knowledge apart. So I would say first, it's extremely important to be aware of what you don't know, which, for me you, Clint, Sophia, and for everyone but the sage, is a lot. And I know this can be hard because it's easy to get excited about Stoicism, which is ironic, of course. And we can want to have all the answers for someone who is curious because we know the benefits of the philosophy and we want to, I don't know, recruit maybe, although I don't really like that word, we want to make sure someone understands that this philosophy could help them and maybe if we could help them see that, we could help them and that's something we want to do as members of a cosmopolis. We want to help our fellow human beings. 
But it is almost always the case that an individual asking about Stoicism out of general interest is going to hit us with questions from their own philosophical, ideological, or theological positions that we simply aren't well-versed enough to counter, depending on where in our education and our Stoic journey we are. Plus, sometimes, it's also true, in my experience anyway, that a lot of these conversations start from a genuine desire to contend. People want to discuss and judge the philosophical positions of others more than they want to genuinely understand them. Or at least, again, in my experience, that seems very common. That said, you asked for an elevator pitch, so I'm going to have to put on my marketing hat here for a second and share with you the general marketing equation for an elevator pitch. It goes something like this. I do X for Y so that they can Z. As an example, I create a podcast about Stoicism for people who are interested in Stoicism and need a gentle introduction to the philosophy so they can grow their understanding and decide whether or not to commit more formally to practicing the Stoic philosophy. A less this-podcast-centric example would be this. I help IT managers simplify their new hire onboarding so they can spend less time standing up new employees and more time helping clients and making money. So, to make one for Stoicism, let's see if I can manage that. Here we go. Stoicism helps people understand the value of virtue so they can develop virtuous characters and live fulfilling and flourishing lives. Now that, I think, is pretty accurate and pretty good. Forbes marketing column, here I come. That's the elevator pitch, I think. But the next question is probably going to be, what is virtue? Followed most likely by, how does Stoicism do that? These are harder questions, but let's try to slap a definition on virtue. Virtue refers to preferred inherent reflexes developed through the intentional educating of and iterating on habituated dispositions. Maybe that's good. I don't know. And here's my answer for how does Stoicism develop virtuous characters. That's harder, but maybe this is a good initial answer. Stoicism helps people to develop virtuous characters by teaching them about appropriate and inappropriate actions, the dichotomy of control, the concept of preferred and dispreferred indifference, and the overall value of improvement of the self for the sake of both the self and the rest of the world. Now, all of that is off the cuff. I was sitting in a coffee shop when I wrote this script that I'm reading right this moment, and I am sure there's room for improvement. But it's my first pass and I hope it's helpful. Thank you for the question, Clint. And that is all I've got for you today, so there's only one thing left to do, and that's to cue that funky, stoic music. Thank you for listening to this episode of Practical Stoicism. I appreciate you taking the time every day to tune in. If you haven't already, consider helping this podcast reach new ears by reviewing it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or Podchaser.com. Also, if you've not checked out our journaling program yet, consider doing so at journaling.stoicismpod.com. Until next time, take care. <laughs>